702. Call Talk at 9 on 011-883-0702. Johan, nice chatting to you again, mate. Uh, are you also one of those people that we need to start paying uh, fees for chatting to us on, uh, on Talk at 9? No, not at all. <laughs> I hope you're good, man. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Okay, so let's start off immediately and, and just look at what this uh, situation is at the moment. I think the most obvious question for anyone uh, that has not been reading newspapers for quite some time, that's not been actively involved in news and understanding what's happening in the world of news, maybe just explain to us what is the entire debacle that obviously um, otherwise took you as, as someone that was sitting in an office doing your job on a day-to-day basis, not necessarily looking for fame per se, uh, from that individual to someone that's almost a household name, uh, you know, within the South African context and the rogue unit, of course. Why, what is all of that business about? <laughs> sure, I don't know how much time we have. It's been so <laughs> many years, of so, so many layers of lies and, and, and distortions. Mm. But I, I should say, I, I, I suppose in a nutshell, if I had to sum it up, um, the South African Revenue Service had been under constant pressure for some years by uh, predominantly people who saw the institution as a threat because they were up to no good. Um, And these comprised of different groupings, whether they were former employees who left under a cloud or faced criminal charges, uh, existing employees who had their own uh, office politics type agendas, uh, taxpayers who were in trouble in court or were facing investigations or were um, having to pay money and so forth. Um, a lot of them with, of course, access to um, uh, influential people. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was a sort of a, a general pressure that had been coming for some time. And this really got traction um, in 2014 um, during the, the height of the state capture project, mm. um, when, when on 12 uh, October 2014, one of our big newspapers published uh, a story and introduced the country and the world oh. to the notion of a uh, never-before-heard-of um, illegal unit uh, deeply hidden within the bowels of the revenue service that had broken into the home of uh, former President Zuma and planted uh, listening devices there mm. to secretly listen in on I don't know what, and at the same time uh, implicated this little unit in uh, two murders. Wow. Or, uh, well, they claimed they were murders. If they bothered to obtain the official records of, 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 of the two matters, they would have discovered uh, differently. One was a motor car accident and the other person um, sadly passed away surrounded by his family and friends in hospital because of illness. Uh, and a host of, um, of salacious and lewd and crude allegations. Uh, there were 54 of them, key themes that followed over a period of two years in over 35 prominent articles just in one uh, media paper. Um, 
and that that basically, I think, uh, set the tone for um, what became known as the so-called Rogue Unit. That was the brand that was selected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sounds, it's easy to refer, and it, it, advertising people will tell you, you need something catchy for it to stick, and, and it stuck. Mm. And uh, uh, during that period, uh, uh, all of us implicated were um, completely prevented from defending ourselves in the media, so our voices were, were not reflected. And it became, as you say, I mean, <laughs> I pretty much became the poster boy of this unit, um, despite the fact that I managed uh, five units, of which this was the smallest for many years. Um, in fact, the unit com- comprised of six people for the majority of, a, of the period of its seven years existence. Um, and yeah, I mean, over time, uh, this was bolstered with, uh, first there was some sort of, uh, I guess one can call it a, a legal opinion of sorts, by a, a panel of advocates, mm-hmm. um, uh, which you know, some some detractors say we should have taken on review before a court. Um, you know, obviously ignorant of the fact that you can't do that. You that's can't a legal opinion. opinion. It's a legal opinion. You, it's it's you, an attorney you, that's being or an advocate you know. that's being asked, "What do you think of this case if we handle it in the following manner?" Um, and then that person can either confirm or deny whatever your gut instinct is. So nine out of ten times with a legal opinion, you will probably get exactly what you're asking for. Is it not so? Well, you know, I suppose one can go into the detail of that. But the fact of the matter is the, 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 the so-called report is, is, is an opinion. And, you know, it has its, uh, its legal and, and, and factual flaws um, throughout and contradictions and... Um, you know, despite its length, it actually only really um, uh, suggests uh, I did two things wrong, and uh, they don't really say why. Um, and and in any event, didn't want to afford me an opportunity to be heard on matters that they pronounced. They said it would make a mockery of the process, mm. and uh, they they extended the terms of reference based on media reports, the very same media reports I've referred to. Um, but by that time, they had already spoken to me and they didn't think it necessary to speak to me again. But in, in a sense, it kind of lent its, 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 its veneer of, uh, you know, it's sort of classic uh, logical circular fallacy that the propagandist loves. So the media reports were used to extend the terms of reference for the opinion and the opinion then confirmed the media reports. So that was the first layer of the onion. Um, that was then very quickly followed up by a media statement issued mm. by uh, a, a so-called board, which um, a big say a media conference was called and questions were fielded and taken or not taken, and then the statement was issued and the opinion was attached to it. Um, and, you know, true to the circular fallacy, um, we would later learn that, in fact, this board relied on the on the opinion and didn't uh, inquire um, anything beyond the opinion. Mm. So it created another layer of the onion. Um, and again, the point is, how do you take a media statement on review before court? You know, it's ludicrous. <laughs> you won't make the steps of the court. But, uh, you know, it's 
so the one confirms the other, confirms the other, and then, of course, the media reports come again and say, well, we, our reports have been confirmed, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it, it continued and continued, and then the, you know, a large audit and consulting firm was brought in uh, to add another layer of veneer uh, of credibility. Hammer at home. There were some more advocates in the law firm involved. Um, none of them spoke to any of us whatsoever. They began to sort of backtrack at some point to say, well, you know, um, you can't rely on this report for anything. You can't quote it. You can't use it for anything. You can't refer to it in whole or in part. It's just a documentary review. It's got, uh, it's got limitations imposed to us by the client. Uh, which included us not being allowed to speak to those people we pronounced upon, et cetera, et cetera. And, and ultimately, it kind of uh, went the route of them withdrawing their conclusions, findings, and recommendations and effectively repudiating the entire report by paying back all the money that they got in the first place, which was taxpayer money, uh, over 20 million rand. Hmm. Um, Later on, the, the chairperson of the board would, uh, in 2018, uh, also um, basically repudiate and, 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 and withdraw the so-called um, conclusions um, as, as communicated in the media statement of 2015. And um, so these things, uh, you know, fell along the way. And, you know, the, the media house um, also... Um, did the same. They also, uh, you know, retracted these claims and ultimately uh, indicated that they realized that, you know, this was part of a bigger orchestrated plot, uh, in, you know, involved in capturing organs of state. Basically, so so truth, I think, and 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 you know, at least the the backbone of some people involved in these processes uh, did in time see light, you know, of day. Mm. Uh, the damage, of course, was done. But you know, um, my mum always used to tell me better late than never, and I I, I agree with her. So um, where where are we now, Johan? I mean, based on yeah, that. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I think I think part of part of the fact that you know, as this thing was dismantled over time, the mm. propaganda, because that's all it is. You know, as as it was dismantled, there was a little. Uh, Report that was kept in a in a in a vault somewhere in the bank. Um, I suppose for you know if all else failed, because this report saw light of day in 2019 only, although it was authored in 2014, and it was a report compiled by the the the, the constitutional oversight body of our intelligence services, called the Inspector General of Intelligence. And um, I had compiled this report, and, and, and it was kept uh, secret from everybody. Mm. Also, not, not, not provided to any of those that pronounced on uh, for comment or right of reply or anything like that. And this then saw light of day, um, you know, as, as all of these things did through leaks, uh, and it ended up in the hands of a political party and some unregulated magazine that, I think they've got about as much readers as I have Facebook following. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this thing was quoted by another unregulated um, newspaper, you know, 
one of these newspapers that don't subscribe to the press code. And they sort of tried to, um, you know, dance this, this thing to life again. Um, and it ultimately saw light of day in, in court papers and, um, and through public releases on the political party's website and portions of it through this, this little uh, magazine. And as a consequence of that, um, I wanted to see this report. It, 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 the claim was that this report um, pronounced guilt on me mm. and pronounced uh, guilt on people that I had uh, worked with and managed uh, of a nature that I knew was complete nonsense. But I, I, I did not have legal access or sight of the report. I, I um, on advice of my um, lawyers, never went online to check this report. I, I, I burned to do so, but I didn't. Until it was um, uh, declassified and released in a redacted format in November 2019, last year, mm. by the Minister of State Security as the lawful custodian of this report. And um, on the very day that I read this report, I was capable of identifying each and every person, or most of them at least, that, that, that this report sought to rely on. And I was capable to issue a press statement, which I did immediately to say that I'm going to take the matter on review because this was a reviewable report. Um, and I stated the reasons why. And the reasons why simply was that this thing was a sham. It, was, it, it contained complete lies, fraud. Um, it's a cover-up of state capture. And uh, I'm going to prove this by reviewing it and asking the court to set it aside. By 4 December, I served the papers mm -hmm. and, uh, on the Inspector General of Intelligence as the author mm -hmm. of the report and on the Minister of State Security as the, as the custodian because it affected my rights, common law and constitutional rights. And, uh, you know, they were effectively invited to, um, you know, uh, respond to what I put up in the form of facts and evidence and substantiation. Um, I was respectful to national security, so I kept it narrow, deliberately. But uh, my affidavit still made up some 720-odd pages. Mm. And uh, I basically, uh, you know, afforded them the opportunity to come and let's air this thing for once and all in, in open court. Uh, they then indicated their intention uh, to oppose my application through the state attorney and served such a notice of uh, opposition. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the court closed during December. So, so the whole of December went by, and then by January they had to, uh, well, at least the inspector general had to submit to me what's known as the... the the Rule 53 record, and that's all the documents and recordings and transcripts and everything else that supported uh, and, 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 and was the basis of this um, report. And it turns out in that some of this stuff had mysteriously disappeared. Nobody knows how or why or who did it, which is very concerning considering the nature of that office, but that's a discussion for another day. Uh, they asked for extra time, which I gave them, mm. being fair. fair. Uh, they then, uh, on the last minute, asked for another month, which I thought was unreasonable. And I said, no, I think you should, uh, you should now answer. Mm. Um, neither of the parties answered. Instead, uh, 
their attorneys contacted mine, and as a result, um, they uh, uh, um, concluded a draft order uh, which was presented to me for consideration. I'm tired of this thing. I want to move on with my life. I, um, I then looked at it, and effectively the, the order gave me what I wanted, which is that the report be reviewed and, and set aside. So both parties that I took to court um, effectively agreed that the, the, the report be reviewed and set aside, and this was made an order of court, and in addition, they were ordered to pay my costs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, from a legal and factual point of view, that's the end of the story. That report has been reviewed and set aside. It's done. It's over. It's dead. It's as if it doesn't exist. Um, and there's not much more I can say to that. Um mm. Well, what does this? I mean, there's obviously, and and that's what I wanted to say earlier on, Johan, because um, what it ended up ended up happening is that uh, because of this, uh, the, these allegations and this uh, this this labelling of the SARS rogue unit, what then inevitably happened is that individuals lost their jobs, um, and for a very long period, many people's uh, you know their their careers, their reputations, um, even the the persons they were. Um, was for a very long time um, mired in nothing else but controversy, and, and and people were you know looked at in a in a horrific way. I mean, I I remember some of the yeah. things that were said about you and your colleagues that were implicated yeah. in this particular thing. Right, that's one issue on one hand, and and for some people, for some detractors, they will turn around and say, well, that's a couple of individuals, so what's the big deal? But beyond yeah. that, what happened then was that it enabled the state capture. Um, a project to go well ahead because then we saw other people then entering sort of what was seen as being a sacrosanct space, being the treasury and being the people who collect the money on behalf of treasury being SARS, also then having people that are very closely linked to um, the project that was state capture. So ultimately it did a hell of a lot of damage in that particular period and that for me is one of the key things that stands out, if anything, that you should be caring about in this big mess. This court case, yes. the finding of the court, does it go anywhere in reversing any of that stuff? Are we anywhere near close to seeing someone going to court for the actions and the activities that they were undertaking during the, the state capture uh, project and the money that they stole and, and the things that they have done? Are we, are we likely to see anything happening in that space? Okay. So I think I should just say two things in response, um, Mr. Brooks. The first thing is that you are absolutely correct. And so the, the, the fundamental principle for me at play here is mm. the fact that um, uh, that was the pretext for the capturing of the revenue service. Exactly. And as a, con- as a consequence, the country became poorer and poorer over the subsequent three fiscal years. Uh, money that ought to have been collected was not collected and we are poorer for it. And not only are taxpayers now required to subsidize that nonsense, but the real beneficiaries of our tax system, the poorest of the poor, those people who receive grants and social benefits and so on, are, are, the, are the real victims of this. Um, on a far bigger scale than any of us that have lost our jobs, you know, Mr. Ivan Pillay, who was also branded as a poster boy of this unit, mm. um, 
and as a rogue, uh, wrote in 2016 and, and said that this is not really about our jobs. This, this is not about us. This is about, over time, how the country will see the effects on our revenue system and ultimately the effects on the country as a whole. And it's there on black and white, and, he, and nobody listened at the time. I mean, and, and if I can just interject there, I mean, and, and I guess that based on our previous discussions, you're too much of a gentleman to say this, but I mean, the very crowd that came in and, and, and replaced the, your, your, you know, your cohort were the very same people that for the very first time underperformed in that particular space, under-collected in terms of taxes, didn't make target in that particular period and had all kinds of excuses during that uh, period uh, as to why uh, they were underperforming, why they couldn't do as well as they did, you know, as has had been done in, in, in previous years. And, and quite well, frankly, I think, I think you know, so, so you had people that were spending money that they weren't supposed to spend. And then on the other hand, you had people that weren't able to collect the money that they needed to collect. Yes. I think, um, I, I, I must be fair, Mr. Brooks, just to, uh, to say the following. There was a downturn in the world economy um, from around uh, 2014 onwards. So that certainly played a role in the the slower collections of revenue by the revenue service. Um, But it wasn't the only role. The fact of the matter is, and I think one can see it in the tobacco industry probably uh, um, most visibly, um, because, you know, all those investigations were stopped and the illicit part of the economy just shot through the roof. You know, it was more than a third of that industry um, was illicit. Uh, and it just increased year on year on year. But, I mean, if one looks at the numbers, um, in at the end of the 2014-15 year, there was a big noise made about the first time in history that... Um, you know, that a trillion rand was collected by the revenue service. But mm. I think what, what people don't realize is that the money that the revenue service collects occurs over a full 12 months. Um, you know, and so there's a lag effect. And so if somebody comes in at the end of the year and suddenly claims I did very well and it's thanks to me and I am Mr. Trillion, well, that's disingenuous to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the guy who claims that he won the Rugby World Cup when he came in, at, uh, you know, during uh, at the 78th minute. I mean, really, you know, <laughs> after the team has had a massive lead in the first instance, <laughs> then you come in, you score one try, and now you suddenly, uh, the, the, the try scorer, the ultimate try scorer, the one person that, will, you know, uh, helped us lift the Webb Ellis a trophy, it's, it's absolute nonsense. You, you can't then attribute it to yourself. You should at least have the grace to understand that you should, under those circumstances, distribute uh, the, the glory, for lack of a better term. Uh, absolutely. And one swallow doesn't like summer. So, I mean, it's not because somebody happened to come in on the 78th minute that, you know, the, 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 the World Cup was won. In fact, it was the entire team that did it. And it was predominantly the team that was still in place there. The following year, um, there was an under-collection of 11 billion. Over 11 billion. Mm, I remember that. Story. A lot of money. And then the following year, it doubled to over 22 billion. And then the following year, it more than doubled to 48 billion. Now, these sound like... Um, uh, a year-on-year figure, but you must remember what what you don't collect in the one year, 
stays outstanding in the following year. So they cumulative figures. So you must actually add it up together. And, you know, when you look at it like that, it was disastrous for, the, for this country and it was disastrous for our future. And it's not something that's going to be fixed in our lifetime, I'm afraid, you say. It takes, you know, another wise man, uh, Mr. Praveen Bordham, once also said in the beginning of this drama that, you know, it, it takes many years to build an institution to a level at which the revenue service functioned in 2014. Mm. Um, and we, we were seen as a good example worldwide. You know, developed states came and studied us and learned from us what we were doing and how we were doing it, which was, we, we were... A, we were something to be proud of. And um, he then said, you know, you can break that in a couple of months, mm. uh, but it's very difficult to rebuild that. So the new people that are there now, um, you know, the new commissioner and his team and so on, they really have their task cut out for them because it's not going to be easy. And of course, the detractors will now play that game of saying, well, you're not electing, you're doing just as bad as your predecessor, Mr. One Trillion. But what people don't uh, necessarily um, take into account is that there's a lag effect. You you know, when you break the house down, and it's cold in winter and and it's raining, um, you can't blame the builders for rebuilding the house and the roof's not up yet. Somebody broke that house down and it takes time to rebuild it. So, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for them. And now we've got COVID-19, uh, yeah. which is something nobody could have predicted. I mean, that messed up the economies worldwide. So it's just more difficult for them. You know, it's, it's, it's almost an impossible task. But I mean, Johan, on that, on, on that base, because, you know, we'll, we'll have to unfortunately bring to an end pretty soon. But, I mean, sure. just taking that into account, what, what you had just pointed out there, you know, around COVID-19, the impact of COVID-19 on the broader economy, the fact that yeah. government is forced under these circumstances to, to spend money. Um, that for argument's sake, they don't even have at this particular stage, because as you very well know, as it is, um, you know, the 350 rands that reached a, a million people last month, uh, the increased amounts in terms of the various uh, social welfare uh, packages that we have in place, uh, yeah. you know, for people, etc., etc. All of that money is extra. And added to that, the stress that many businesses have shut down during this period, legitimate businesses are still closed. Or even if they are making revenue, they're making far less revenue than what they would have been able to in the past. I mean, that really puts us in a difficult position. How the heck do we dig our way out of this, considering that you were once upon a time on the other side of things, looking at dashboards and saying, okay, guys, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go next. How, do, how the heck do we get out of this mess? Look, I'm conscious of time, and it's, 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 obviously the answer isn't a simple answer. As no yeah. few things in life are simple. But I, I, I can say this. I think the revenue service people need to go back to the old days when we worked around the clock seven days a week, um, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, like the, in the golden years under Minister Manuel and, and, and so on. We got to, we, and we got to work smart and we got to use, um, as much creativity and everything else that we have within, within the, the means of law. We got to go back to that mindset or what was known as the higher purpose. It's a calling. The country needs us. It's national service. They need to now 
put in the effort and their families need to support them because it's going to put pressure on the families. That's the first thing. The second fundamental thing is that we mustn't forget that there is a tax gap in South Africa, and there has been for many, many years. And the rough estimates since the early 2000s have been around 30 billion rand per annum. That means that there is money around. You've got to just go and fetch it. Now, you're not going to fetch that by sitting back and thinking, if I provide good service and good education, that money is going to just walk in the door. That money you've got to go dig for by using your sharp end, your enforcement, your audit, your investigators, because those are the people who've been ducking the system all these years. And in that sense, I think, you know, they've got to go claw that money back. It's there. I've made an estimation. During COVID, the COVID lockdown period alone, um, very conservatively speaking, just in the tobacco sector, around 6 billion rands gone into the illicit economy. This is the unrecorded cash economy, uh, alternative payment means economy. There's your first uh, low-hanging fruit. Go to yeah. those guys. You, you're not talking about tens of thousands or, 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 or millions. You're talking about a handful. Go for them. And use the tools that are there in the law. Um, and, you know, batten down the hatches because they'll fight back. You know, and, mm. and learn from learn from what happened to us. Protect your people and, and, and stand up for them and back them because the bad guys will fight back. But I think it's those sorts of things. The, the, the advantage is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are good case studies. As I said, the, you know, developed states came and learned from us. We can learn from ourselves. The South African Revenue Service was a proudly South African-made model. Mm. Uh, it was it was unique to the South African economy and to the South African society. It wasn't perfect by no means. There's a lot of room for improvement, and mistakes were made. But all in all, it was it was a very advanced institution, and we don't have to go and reinvent the wheel on many aspects. We can just go back and and uh, revisit some of those things and modernise them. You know, technologies increased. Uh, third-party data has increased. And I think other state departments can help. And let me, let me tell you, Mr. Brooks, I think I've made this point elsewhere. The state capture drama itself is a deep pool, um, but it's a small pool. Mm. And um, you don't really need much bait on your hook to catch big fish there, you know. You can literally drop uh, an empty hook in, in that pool, and I'm quite certain you'll hook up quite a few fat fishes. So there are those sorts of opportunities where you can begin to reclaim the ground and at the same time bring in the money that won't ordinarily walk into the door um, just as a result of service and education. I mean, that for me is, is absolutely interesting that you put it that way because, I mean, one of the key things, and I guess uh, with our focus being, uh, fo- you know, with our attention being focused on, on COVID-19 at this point in time, I, I saw that... Uh, uh, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo uh, basically calling for uh, the opening of the state capture inquiry once more. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's, I guess, a matter of time. But the key question that I have and what I wonder about a lot of the time um, is, is there sufficient political will to go after the these big fish, as you said, the big fish that you don't need, uh, you know, you just chuck in the hook and you're going to catch them. I wonder if there's sufficient 
uh, political will to go after them because I think many of us are sitting here that have been following the story for many years, including people like yourself, Johan, who has been uh, you know, in the trenches, literally seen the ugly side of state capture. I'm sure many of you are asking yourselves, but hell, guys, when are we going to get to a point whereby someone significant is actually brought to the fore um, and that particular individual is actually dealt with um, and, and that we actually start seeing people going to jail, start seeing people uh, being dealt with and, and that the law actually takes its course and that we see some form of justice. No, I fully agree with you. And that's why I made the point. And I think um, it, it is not, it is certainly not acceptable, uh, in my view, to even consider um, politics within the context of the revenue service. The, the obligation in law on the revenue service and every official there is to treat each and every taxpayer in the same manner. So as we see uh, small little people, you know, bank accounts getting cleared out because they didn't submit their returns or whatever, I think we should see the big people. And we must know that that's happening. That's, that, I think that's the first thing I should say. So politics does not even come into play. If, if I, if I, and I, there's no evidence to suggest, by the way, that, that, you know, they are playing politics and I don't think they would. Um, it would be a, an absolute disgrace and compar- comparable to state capture if that is the case. Um, so I, I would simply say that. I think they just need to look around at where the big money is and go for the big money. They are still really brilliant, hardworking people in that institution. Um, they weren't captured. They were just made inefficient or, or you know, pushed into corners and told to do nothing. Now they have the space. So um, I call on them. And the second point, I think, is... I think this whole propaganda but needs to be put to rest for once and for all because it's it's going to come up every single time it suits a nefarious agenda. It's almost like a scar on that institution that keeps on being scratched open um, by someone whenever it suits them. And to do that, that's why in my in my statement issued by my lawyers when the court order was made, I called upon the authorities, including the revenue service, to now, for once and for all, please deal with those people who were behind that. Um, they were the people who, who assisted in the capturing and the dismantling of the revenue service. Mm. And I can assure you, there are cowards there. And some of them are still sitting in that institution. And if they are pushed hard enough, they're going to take us to where the big fish are and they're going to give us where the money is hiding. But you need to start doing that. You can't sit back and pretend as if, um, you know, that uh, Johan van Lochenberg has now gone to court. He's now managed to set this thing aside and now it's the end of it. It's not the end of it. It's, it will never be the end of it. Until, until our leaders and our people... In, 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 in powerful positions who have the means to do this, do what the law requires them to do. And I, my appeal is please, please, please um, do this. Do this for us as a nation and for our children. I hear you. We, I hear we're going we, we're gonna to suffer this now and you know, we're going to have to bite that bullet. And we cannot pretend it's kumbaya. It's tough times now. It's those thin years. But can we all be those people who will be remembered as the generation that made the life for the next generation a better life. Um, let us be that. You know, just like after the Second World War, some countries 
that are today the most compliant countries in the world. You know, these Scandinavian countries is an example. Um, the, 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 um, the generation following the Second World War took a very deliberate and conscious decision to sacrifice by paying the highest tax rates in the world in order to ensure that the next generations lived a better life. Um, and we can do the same. Right. And I, my, my last comment, Mr. Brooks, sure. will be, uh, South Africans aren't stupid. You know, uh, we may have ideological differences and many other differences and, 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 and you know, society's polarized, but we, we bright people and I think mean, most people can see through this crap by now. I mean, you, you can't possibly still believe in it. All the best to you, mate. Thank you so much for giving us your time yet again. Uh, well done, obviously, on, on taking this matter through its uh, justice course, so to speak. And obviously, there's still yet a lot to be done. And hopefully, we see things unfolding as, as, as time continues. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. That was Johan van Lochenberg, as you know, former group executive in enforcement at SARS. He's a private consultant as well as an author. Uh, speaking obviously about uh, his court victory or his latest court victory on this uh, uh, this this rogue unit saga and what it means for the country.